Thank you, Matt, and good morning, church family. It's great to be here with you today. Yes, we're going to open these, this word, these passages. Let me begin with this quote. Listen to this quote about young people from the New York Times by Catholic Bishop Levi Ives. Here's what he says. For the last 10 years, I have been a close observer of what has passed among this rising generation in this great metropolis, and I cannot suppress the humiliating conviction that even pagan Rome in the corrupt age of Augustus never witnessed among certain classes of the young a more utter disregard of honor, truth, and piety, and even common decencies of life. That was written in July 24th, 1865. Were you surprised by that? Has a lot changed since then? Well, a lot has changed since then. But how are our relationships with our children today? You know, every generation has its own struggles. They always have. And we will until the Lord returns to take us home. It's always been that way. So what are the Bible's timeless truths for us all in family dynamics concerning God's best? We're looking at God's best for family dynamics Let's talk about the relationships between children, parents, grandparents, families. Jesus sets a high bar on our families. He does. He sets a high bar because our family dynamics are for his glory and for the world's good and for our good. So we have a high bar. We began our family dynamic series last week by saying that virtually nothing is under attack more in the world than the family. It's under attack by Satan. He knows if he can break the family, he can destroy the world. It's under attack by Marxist ideologies all across the world. It's under attack by mockers. It's under attack by brokenness. The family is under attack to take away from all of us God's best for the world. And so last week, we looked at God's best for marriage and for singleness. And today, God's best for parenting and being a child, and leading our children to Christ. How many of you are children here today? All right, well, I appreciate the honesty there. Um, How many are are parents here today? Many. How many of you know children or parents? Okay, so this message is for everyone. It is the word of the Lord. So I don't want to lose anyone, not one single person. A key to God's best for family relationships is the word respect. All right, so that's going to be one of our theme key words today, respect. What is respect? We'll start with dictionary.com's definition. It is considering a person worthy of high regard. Okay, so think about this, respect. Worthy of high regard. To respect someone is to pay attention to him or her, to esteem their worth, to put focus on the other person rather than on whatever's in your own head at the time, and ultimately to recognize their worth as one made in the image of God. We respect. Today we're going to examine God's word on the respect involved between children and parents or parental authorities, which could mean grandparents or it could mean other parental authorities. And then we're going to conclude with God's glorious instructions on how, some practical steps on how to lead our children wholeheartedly to Christ. 
I've been looking forward to this message and living it uh, with you all. Let's begin with the value of children. We've got to start here and declare this in this world. A culture like ours worships things. When a culture like ours is worshiping something other than God, what, what are we worshiping here? We worship sex. We do in this culture. We worship comfort. Oh, yeah. We worship convenience. And we worship career. And as we worship those things instead of God, you know what becomes the enemy? Babies become the enemy of all those things. And so we kill them as the solution. Combining abortifacient drugs, IUDs, which are non-contraceptives but kill fertilized embryos, plus surgical abortion, which is always the number one killer in the country and in the human race, abortions. Combining all of those in America, we kill 67% of all babies conceived in this country. And we should weep at this. And we should not be surprised when we face God's judgment for this. And we should stand against it. And we will. Children are devalued in our culture to the point of extermination and then often neglect and abuse to those who survive. Christians, we're called, we're saved, we're redeemed and given new life to stand against these things. What does God say about children? Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So children here today, you are among the most valuable things in God's entire universe. All of his creation. You're right at the top. But don't get a big head because you have some serious responsibility in your relationship. So we're going to talk to the children here first. Children, listen to this. God's instruction first to you. And here's the first point on your notes. If you don't have notes or a bulletin, I see Chris is ready to hand those out. Just raise your hand, and he can give you a bulletin and a pen today if you need that. On the notes, you'll see the first point is children respect, that's our key word, your parents. And the Bible gives two different ways. Turn with me, if you're not there already, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We studied the latter part of Ephesians chapter 5 last week, and we go we roll right into Ephesians 6 this week. We look at verse 1. There are two ways, again, for children to respect your parents. Every, again, this is for everyone here. Number one is to respectfully obey them. Guess what, children? You have a job. Sometimes kids wonder what their first job is going to be. You already have it. It is to obey your parents. That is your job. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, first, let's understand who we're talking to here. What is a child? Okay, the word Paul uses here in the text is basically anyone who is still living under their parents' authority, not completely out on their own independence yet. 
And so even teenagers who are living in their parents' house know that this is talking to you, not the little kids only. It applied to me when I was still in my parents' home, and it applies to you now. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You mean even though my parents are not cool anymore, even though they embarrass me and I don't want my friends to get anywhere closer than 10 yards to them? Yes, even that. Despite all those things, you have a command to obey them no matter what. And the command does not allow for questioning. It's no questioning, no ask, no challenging, and no knowing why. Now, a good parent is going to teach you why they're telling you certain things for your own instruction and maturity along the way, but your obedience does not depend on you knowing those things. This is right. God says, obeying your parents is God's righteousness for you. Then comes honor. Respectfully honor them. So obey and then respectfully honor. And this is what Paul says in verses 2 and 3 as he continues. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, Honor your father and mother or anyone else who has parental authority over you, by extension, has that authoritative role like grandparents or parental guardians. And national stats show that more grandparents are raising their grandkids than ever before. This is a more increasingly relevant message for grandparents. What is this? It's a command. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's number five. For that, we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, which says, right in the Ten Commandments, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So that raises the question, how is honor different than obey? And here's the key. Honor does not have a time limit. Obey has a time limit. Okay, The time limit on obey is as long as you're in their house under their authority as we've already said. But honoring your parents has no time limit. This is a command until we're all gone from this earth. This goes our entire life. It means to treat with respect, love, and kindness, and to care for them when they need it. This is different than obeying outright, but it's honoring. No matter who your parents are to you, and we need to talk about boundaries oftentimes, but there's an honor there that honors God. Now, in both Exodus and Ephesians, God is not guaranteeing a, a good life or a long life, but this is like a proverb. It gives wisdom. It gives a general principle. If you honor your parents, that sets you out on the best course of life for your own thriving and health and opportunity. God knows that sets his best for your life, and that's what we're after. Honor your parents no matter what. So kids, obey and honor your parents. Adults, honor your parents too, except for any command that they give that goes against God's will or God's law. Then we appeal to the higher authority, which is God. Your dad or mom wants you to do something that's dishonest or harmful, 
That's when you choose to obey God rather than your dad or mom. And that gets complicated. That's why the church is here. And life is challenging sometimes. But obey God. He's the higher authority. Otherwise, obey your parents in everything. And do you know how it becomes easy to do, children? It becomes easy to obey your parents when you're in the Word, hearing from God. When you're in the Bible, reading the Bible and praying to our Heavenly Father, it becomes easy to see the bigger picture, who the parents are, what God's design is. You know God and you trust God. It becomes much, much easier with these family dynamics if you're walking with the Lord. Now, kids, if you're not ever doing this, but just watching screens and playing video games, listening to the world's music, whatever, you're going to have a real, I mean, it's going to, you're fed rebellion. Okay, so that's how it's going to make it a lot easier on you if you're walking with Christ, following Christ, obeying your parents. You'll understand much more and have a much more willing, honorable heart. A young boy named Joe was four years old. Joe was a well-behaved little young man, except for one habit. He didn't like to wear shoes. When it came time for his first vacation Bible school, his parents urged Joe as much as they possibly could that he must keep his shoes on in church. They worried about his ability to resist temptation. But when they picked him up at the end of the night, their fears were relieved. What they saw on display were the crafts that kids had completed that night. And on the wall, there were 51 plaster plaques of children's feet and one plaque of little Joe's hands. He obeyed his parents. Good job, little Joe. Parents, I tell this because God has entrusted you with the obedience of your children. This is a massive responsibility. Hear God's word to parents now. Point two, parents, respect your children. Parents, respect your children. Verse four begins like this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Why fathers here? Well, in one sense, you could scratch out the word fathers and write fathers and mothers or just parents because this absolutely applies to both moms and dads and any parental authority. But as men carry the final responsibility, final spiritual responsibility as husbands, so they do before God as fathers as well. Men, I hope you listen to that because you'll stand an account as the final spiritual responsibility of your homes. Now, some say the smartest advice on raising children is to enjoy them while they are still on your side. You ever heard that? That's, that's kind of funny advice, but I'm going to reject that. I'm going to say, if you're following God's principles here that we're going to get into, they're very likely to always be on your side. What does this text actually address? Let's talk about these things. It addresses two, two things Two categories, things to avoid and things to do. Things to do not do, things to do. Let's look at avoid. First, there are six things on your notes. These are just samples of, you could make a list that goes on and on and on, things that parents could do to provoke their children. Let's just talk about what that is. 
Parents, listen up for some of these that you might do. Kids, listen up for some that your parents might need to stop. And we can talk about this. Let's look inside of ourselves. Number one is overprotecting. Get this, helicopter parents. Have you all heard that? That means I'm hovering over every single thing my kid does. That leads to rebellion, ultimately. Oh, you got to find that balance for yourself. But being overbearing gives leads them to rebellion. So we need to give our kids a, a growing sense of trust and room. Now, kids, it takes a long time to build trust and only a moment to lose it. Know that, so don't lose your parents' trust. But you've got to leave them that trust and room before they are out of the house and go crazy. Number two, favoritism. I hope that no family in this church falls into this. Comparing one child to the other, loving one more, that crushes a kid and disobeys God. Three, mocking or depreciating their worth. This is in our hearts to do this, but even, even if things are said in joking, is there really a place for sarcasm in this relationship of honor and trust? Sarcasm destroys. Number four is showing no affection, never saying I love you, hugging, kissing, picking up and squeezing in some affectionate way, sends the message that they are unacceptable to you and not worthy of your love. Please overcome this behavior, fathers and mothers. Say the words, I love you, and then say them again and again and again and again. Number five is not providing needs. Even in a wealthy society like America, kids have needs, a little privacy, the care that they need, provisions like enough food and clean clothes, a place to study, to work. They have needs, and you can provide them lest you provoke them to anger. And the sixth one I have is over-discipline or anger. Here's a quote. Shouting to make your children obey is like using the horn to steer your car, and you get about the same results. Think about that. All right, there's a danger in growing up Part of adulthood is dangerous, and that is if we've grown up physically, but we've never outgrown our childishness inside. So now we've never grown enough to have self-control not to take out our lack of patience or our offended self-worth out on our children, yelling and screaming and berating and the use of brute strength to overpower them. That temptation is in us. It provokes them, it defeats them, and it disobeys God. Do not provoke is the command. And if they are provoked to the point of anger or defeat, you have sinned as a parent and need to apologize for that and confess that. But here's a neat thing that God does. I love this saying that a perfect parent wouldn't even be a very good parent because you would never be able to model the gospel of forgiveness of giving and receiving and offering and asking for forgiveness. And so God redeems any time you break down as long as you humble yourself and apologize 
and offer and receive forgiveness. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so those are the things we talked about. To avoid, do not, what to do. The second half of verse 4 goes into this, what to do. All right, so let's read the whole verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Oh, man, there's a lot to chew on here. Bring them up, first of all. This means to nourish them up to maturity from infancy to every single part of their lives until they're to mature man or womanhood. Every part of their lives, beginning with the spiritual and also encompassing the physical and the social and the moral and the intellectual nourishment as well. So we bring them up, just like Jesus grew as a human, Luke 2, 52, which says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with man. So we bring them up. Now, how does the Bible say to bring them up? In two things, in discipline and instruction. The first thing I want to point out, though, first, is that this does not mean to honor your children above God. We need to bring balance in all these things, so I need to address this. God had some words for the prophet Eli in the book of 1 Samuel, because Eli, he was a pretty good priest, but he was a bad parent. Hear God's word to Eli, 1 Samuel 2.29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? What could that mean today? Listen to this quote from Bodie Bauckham's book, Family Driven Faith, which is my book recommendation for the day. And that's the single parenting book that's impacted my parenting more than any other book. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Here's one of his quotes from a powerful chapter. He says, If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eye on Christ, I have failed as a father. We must refuse to allow trivial temporal pursuits to interfere with the main thing. This is the main thing. To bring them up, not in whatever thing they want to be involved in only, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word discipline is paideia. It's training in every aspect of life. Every aspect, this is the total raising of a child, total training them from infant to adulthood to be well-trained, well-disciplined, and mature in every healthy way. Now that awesome responsibility is only complete with the second part here, too, to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And this is the most important part. It's you... First of all, you being immersed in God's word so that you can raise them up spiritually. God's word is the source of faith, knowledge, wisdom, health, direction, vision, purpose, meaning, love, all of those things. You bring that into their lives so they become a very powerful force for God. And the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at how. How to do that very thing. Point three is parents, lead your children to Christ. The first part of that is the Bible's plan. God gets really practical here in his word, and so we're going to get really practical today as well. We're going to become excellent parents today. Okay, sound good? 
Here's how we do it, with the wisdom of God's word. First, I'll start with Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Listen to these words from God towards our raising of children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It all starts with God. It starts with God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. This is the most important thing. This is the main thing. Verse 6, and these words, God's word, that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's the center of your life, not just your head, all your values, who you are. Now here he gets practical, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. Diligently to your children. And here's how. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise. These two pairs are a poetic way of saying all the time. This is what we're about. We're about bringing God into the conversation about everything. Diligently, all the time. And in fact, verses 8 and 9, I'll, I'll continue in 8 and 9 because they get really practical. And we need to contextualize this into our context today, but for them at that time, listen to this, verses 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That means they're always with you, my, my word, who I am, conversations about God, always with you, not only just on your person, but verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that, that fit their construction. Let's fit it to ours right now. If you put up pictures of sports and fishing or whatever else all over your house, that's okay. But that proclaims to your kids, these things are important to us as a family. Fishing is important. Sports are important. Whatever else you decorate your house with, it sends that message. God is saying, that's great. Do that with me. Who you are in Christ. The Word. So here's how. And for this next part of how, I'm going to get into the Bible's planting analogy. We heard his plan. His plan is to do this diligently all the time. Now the Bible's planting analogy gets into how, the nuts and bolts. This is exciting. Remember, we're all going to be excellent parents after today. Okay. The Bible uses a planting analogy for raising kids. And springtime is the perfect time for a planting analogy. How many people are going to be planting anything this year? Raise your hand if you are. Lots of people. Now, for everyone who is going to be planting someone this spring and who is going to be raising children at all, have any involvement in raising children, you're going to do these four things if you want to do them effectively. You're going to do these four things. Number one, you're going to prepare the ground. That's an important step in planting. In parenting and spiritually raising your children, that's prayer and care and modeling for them. Prayer. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Pray for your children's salvation and spiritual condition. God moves and does his part when we pray. So how often are you praying for your kids or grandkids or other kids that you know that God's put into your life? I encourage you to set a goal every day. What day do you want them to not live under the blessing and power of your prayer? Let me just model this right now. 
Can we all just bow and pray for kids that are in our lives, that God has placed in our lives? Lord God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this right now. We're talking about praying. We're talking about modeling. We're talking about making this natural. I'm just talking to you as my, my holy, awesome God, also our perfect Father. We pray for the spiritual condition of our kids. We have six daughters you've blessed us with. The world is so, so filled with things that are gonna put this under attack. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit empowers them today. And every day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you'll continue to pray those prayers for your kids and for the kids of our church every day. The next is care. You know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've got to care for them. Here's how to create a spiritually engaging home environment that shows you care about God and about them, and you're going to make that connection between God and them. Here's just some ideas. Engage the senses. Engage the eyes. Put Christian art on your walls and scripture, a Bible on your coffee table. Be in the Word. Have an open Bible. Just like that sports and fishing decor, put it all over. Engage the eyes. Oh, that's a caring, spiritually caring environment. Engage the ears. Here's a challenge. Try only listening to Christian music for the next 30 days. See what happens. Music is a huge influence, whether for good or for bad. Engage the schedule. And here's a goal as far as reframing your schedule to work in that family worship time every day. Uh, the best thing for me is you got to have a time and a place on your schedule. you got to have a time and a place on your schedule. But I'm going to encourage you to make a goal that your kids will see an open Bible every day. Hear from the Word. That's an easy goal to set. My kids are going to have some time where they see an open Bible. You define what that looks like. And they'll hear from God. That's, that's your role, your responsibility to to prepare the ground, your environment. That's up to you. And then modeling. They're watching everything you do, and you know it's far more what's caught than what's taught. Many are the testimonies of kids who say, my parents said one thing and they acted a different way. I reject Christ. So we model for them. Here's just a question for your self-reflection. You can write it down or just think about it right now. Or try asking your kids this. Here's the question. If I asked my children or grandchildren, what is most important to me, what would they say? Prepare the ground by praying, caring, and modeling for them. Model a love and you will, for Christ and you'll lead them to Christ. That's all just preparing the ground. Okay, next you need to plant the seeds. Next, you need to plant the seeds. Listen to Isaiah's poetic description of planting the seeds. We're going to talk about the Bible and the gospel are the seeds. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return from there, or return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing 
for which I sent it. The Bible, God's word, has always been and continues to be, will always be our, the seeds, the nourishment. And how much nourishment do your kids need? How much nourishment do your kids get? You've got to scatter the seed, plant the seeds. You can decide today to give them more what they need. Using Isaiah to soak them in the word will make them bring forth and sprout. That's God's word. Now, if they have not put their faith in, in Christ yet, then the seeds become the gospel. People need to hear the gospel, the good news that, that hey, there's bad news first, that we're broken, we're sinners, we have hurt people, we have sinned, we have lied, and that cuts us off from God. And we stand under his righteous condemnation for that. It's judgment. We, we're not close to him. We can never know him. We haven't been made alive in him yet. That's a bad place to be. But there is good news Based on nothing that we've done or anything that we could possibly earn, Jesus died for us and offers his salvation, new life, place with God. This is good news all through Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection and his life. And we repent of our you know, self-worship and turn to him as our Lord and Savior. Plant the gospel seeds. People need to hear the gospel message that I just said lots of times, several times, before understanding it and then eventually turning to it and believing it and receiving it for themselves. So we need to plant these Bible seeds, the word of the Lord, the gospel message, plant and plant and plant. Now with the ground prepared and the seeds of the Bible and the gospel getting planted, don't stop there or your plants won't grow. You've got to go on to provide the nutrients. Provide the nutrients. Sun, water. Without those things, the that seed's not going to grow. Compost, fertilizer, those things for growing kids is studying the Bible and memorizing the Bible. It's regularly worshiping God together at home, family worship time. Decide today that, okay, we're going to figure out family worship. There's a lot of tools. I'm going to give you some today. But we're going to make this a priority in our home. And it's participating actively in a church together. The best place to raise a healthy spiritually family is in the context of a healthy church family. There's a reason you're a part of this church family. It's the best place to be. Now, taking all this, you're helping them process the world. I like this little exercise. Here we have three facts on the screen, and your job as their spiritual parents is to take the facts that they're learning through life at school. You know, at most schools, they're not going to have a biblical worldview. They're just going to learn a bunch of facts, potentially an anti-biblical worldview. Well, just take these three facts. This is just an example, one of millions. God made the world. Two plus two equals four. And Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world. Now, they could learn that someday and come home and uh, not really care or be changed. These are just facts. Here is providing the nutrients. If you're studying the word and having family worship time and bringing them to a healthy church, they will begin to see the facts that they learn this way. Listen to this as you're looking at those facts. If God made the world and things make sense like math and God told mankind to take dominion over the world, then it would make sense that mankind ought to attempt to climb Mount Everest because it is the tallest mountain in the world. 
This is having a biblical worldview about everything. Oh man, this is so cool. What a way to live. And now you're talking about all these ethical and moral situations that we're bombarded with. And now because of your nourishment, they're able to follow Christ, to grasp what God is all about. God's command is to lead our children to all of the glories of Christ. And it's a blessed privilege worth devoting ourselves to completely. So we've prepared the ground, planted the seeds, provided provide the nutrients. Now when we've done all that, as imperfectly as we do, God's grace is showering us all throughout this. Praise him for that, right? No, none of us is perfect. But as good as we can, be ready for the harvest, number four. Harvest the sprouting. And this is through conversations in, in the salvation presentation. Have many conversations and then be ready for the salvation presentation. It's easy to, we live in the information age, it's easy to find tools to have these spiritual conversations and to lead your children to Christ. I have a really nice one here. It's eight pages. I've made a bunch of copies. They're on a stack right out at the uh, resource center out there. It says, How to Lead Your Children to Christ. And it's got the gospel passages and pictures. And it's just a rich conversation to have. And I have done that with my oldest kids. And it's about time to do that with our five-year-old Agnes as well. Be ready for the harvest. Let me give you some next steps today. What to do with all of this, with the word, with these practical steps. Listen, everybody's on a different place here. You take the next step for you. I pray that no one here is discouraged and defeated because this just seems so far away and your kids are so far out there. You just take the next step. It really begins with prayer. To if you just do that, God brings in all the other details. And we're here. There's a lot of people here, your small groups and, and friends, pastors, staff, elders. Let's do this. Number one, next step, devote your life to Christ first. And you can make this step. Well, okay, Jesus, I want to devote my life to you. If you haven't trusted him as your savior yet, that's where it all starts. Because you have to become spiritually alive for any of this to make sense. And for any of this to take root. But then, if you trust him, received him, turn to him, then you can devote your family to Christ. Here's just a few ways. We're talking about next steps. We've got both of these books. I've got two books, Family Driven Faith, Bodie Bauckham. They're on sale out there. We just provide that. Of course, you can buy them on Amazon, too. We're actually cheaper. Um, and then the other one, I said uh, grandparents are raising their grandkids, or just grandparents that want to be active with your grandkids. Every grandparent should be. There's a great book from Tim Kimmel called Extreme Grandparenting. That's you on the bike right there in the air. No, it's not. Probably shouldn't be. Okay, this is great. We bought these for our kids' grandparents, and um, it's a really, really life-giving book. Uh, a couple other things, the gospel parenting class, which week two is happening right now. There's 14 weeks, and they don't, they don't build on each other. If, if you want to get into a gospel parenting class, uh, Tyson and Zach are uh, co-teaching that. They're doing it right now. Jump into that next week. And then Sean Mason is going to lead a, a Saturday workshop 
It's not scheduled yet, but it's coming. Parenting in a dangerous technological age. This is something every parent should become very well accustomed to. Those are just some of the things that we have going on here. Let's pray right now and devote ourselves to God. Lord, I, I just pray this, this prayer of devotion, first of all, of ourselves, so we can continually be in a, in a rich spiritual growth ourselves, um, and then pour into our families and our relationships from that filling and even overflowing cup. As broken as we are, we depend on your grace, guidance, wisdom, and forgiveness, and, you, and we have it. So we're so thankful. I pray that everybody here just devotes themselves to this task, this glorious task of family dynamics that you've given us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.